you've probably noticed at some point this past summer, your dollar isn't going as far as it used to. Gas prices are up, grocery prices are up, and just about everything else seems more expensive. It's not just your imagination. Inflation is at a 40-year high. It's risen 9% in one year's time, and it rose 7% in 2021. Not only is inflation up, we're either headed towards a recession or we're already in one, depending on which economist you ask. The S&P 500 had its worst first half of the year since 1970, and it's down 19% since January. Things are bad, and they just might be getting worse. But we're Christians. Why should we even think about money? Shouldn't we just be trusting God? What does the Bible say about managing our money during economic uncertainty? And how can we continue to be generous and trust God when we don't know how much it'll cost to fill up our gas tank this time next week? creepy you nailed it you nailed it <laughs> <laughs> i just think of like when i was growing up they had uh, radio stations there's one in chattanooga right outside of where i grew up called rx 107 and it was all these people that were like rx 107 <laughs> it was like a 12-part harmony thing going on so nice maybe we should hire some some people to do that for bears and bible podcast yeah if you're listening jingle writer no need to apply I've already got it nailed. I mean, you and I could probably work something up in GarageBand. That's true. Hours. We, yeah. We did used to write music together way back in the day. Mm. Mm. It's true. Hey, do you, ever miss, do you ever miss that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I do worship and stuff at our church, and, it, you know, it, it fills that void to a certain extent, but I do miss the outlet of writing recording and playing music of you know that's not corporate worship i think that's that's a different scratch itch that needs scratching i think is that the right it's true um yeah i I stepped away from leading worship when i became a lead pastor in 2017 Mm -hmm. and i haven't done anything in terms of playing music publicly in about five years and uh yeah it's darn near it's darn near killing me gabe yeah. yeah, I really want to get a uh, a band together and call it Stephen Curtis Chapstick, <laughs> and I just want to do gutter punk renditions of Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. So you could play drums, I could play bass, and then we just need a guitarist. And hmm. can you imagine how how much fun? Um, the Great Adventure by Stephen Gers Chapman would be just oh, like gosh. screamed, you know. Saddle up your horses! We're gonna drown out these. <laughs> What's that song? My face in this world. My face. That's, that's in... Michael W. Smith. Is that okay? But that would be a great one. Yeah, it would be. Look for a reason. All that I can find to find my face in this world. Like every song would just be like twenty times fast. Yeah. Twenty times faster than the actual song, and then it would be. All the same chords, 
as um, I don't know, like a misfit song. Yeah, but it Stephen Kurtz chapstick. Just love that it's it's five twenty one in the morning, and your kids are probably <laughs> hearing you downstairs or wherever, screaming <laughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman songs. Yeah, and you're like, leave me alone, That's kids. Don't, don't disturb your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> he he has to get his musical outlet. Dad needs therapy. Yeah. Um. So speaking of which, faithful listeners, so Gabe and I are recording this early in the morning because it's the only time we could because mm-hmm. we're both very very time deprived with children and jobs and ministry and things. And I thought that waking up at five in the morning and recording a podcast before work, I would be the only one in my house awake. But as I started getting ready and coming to the office this morning, my six-year-old and my four-year-old have already been up for I don't know how long. Just hanging out in the bedroom, playing, doing their thing. And they come down the stairs acting like everything's just great. And I was like, guys, like, you guys know you're going to be exhausted by the end of the day and you're probably going to get in trouble because you're going to be so tired. So, um, yeah, I don't know what's going on with it, but it's, it's a thing. So, yeah. It's like the good old days, you know, anyway. when we used to get interrupted by our kids and then we get all professional and, uh, our kids stopped yeah. interrupting our podcasts. Yeah. Now we're getting back to our roots. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like Rocky and Rocky three, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Gabe. And there goes the door to my office so my dog can come in. Speaking of interruption. Aiden, can you shut that door for us? Thanks, Chief. Already off to a good start. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Gabe. Today we're talking about something that does affect our families, does affect our children, does affect all of us in some way, and that is we're talking about the economy. And not just that, we're talking about like, as Christians, money is not supposed to be our God, money is not supposed to be the thing that we focus on, like, we are going to be okay as believers, regardless of what's happening with the economy, both globally and here in the U.S., we're recording this, but it does have an impact on us, and so we're going to be talking today just about that relationship between um, us, our money, what the Bible says about how we treat it, and then just words of wisdom for um, how do we steward money well right now in the economic situation that we're in, so... Sweet. Let's do it. Yeah. When did you first realize that um, the economy uh, was ch- changing, and how did that start to impact you and your family and maybe your family <clears throat> budget? Well, I kind of saw the writing on the wall when they started issuing every American thousands of dollars worth of worth of uh, printed <laughs> currency and sending it out in the mail during COVID shutdowns. I was like, wait a second. Yeah. You can't. And then also like shutting an, an entire economy down, like just freezing it. Unless you're, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote, uh, necessary something, necessary business, essential, yeah, essential worker. worker. There you go. But just shutting it down just overnight, and I was like, this, this economy is like it's it's like a whole ecosystem uh, that has all these different moving parts, and and it's very complex and intricate. You can't just shut it down and expect it just to pop back up and just be normal again. You can't do. I mean, you might be able to right. do that for a day or two, um, and it might be able to survive that, but like. 
for I don't know how long it was, you know, for de- depending on the state you lived in, it was like it was weeks and weeks. And I was like, this oh, isn't sure. this isn't good. And then when I started issuing all these checks to Americans and all these other spending bills and stuff, I was like, oh, this is not this is this can only create inflation. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I mean, here we are. Yeah. So if if you're uh, living under a rock, or maybe you're like a homesteader and you don't have to spend money on any anything ever because you grow your own food. Um, which in which case, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast because like, I don't know, you have an iPhone? Mm. How'd you get that? Anyway, um, inflation is at a 40-year high. In just this year, it's risen 9% and we're in August at the time of this podcast. So we could hit 11, 12% by the end of the year and some economists are forecasting that. Um, it rose 7% in 2021. So in a year and a half's time, um, it's risen 16%, which is alarming. Like, that hasn't happened since 1981. And just to put it in perspective, it like a healthy inflation was like 2% in 2019 and 1% in 2020. So it is out of control. Mm. And... Um, a recession has traditionally been like defined as two back-to-back quarters of declining GDP, um, gross domestic product. So basically, like when the economy suffers two economic quarters in a row, then economists will say that's a recession. And that's happened, but economists are very hesitant to say this is a recession because they're like, well, this is just not a typical circumstances. I think that's probably politically motivated too. I think that's probably why economists mm-hmm. are hesitant to say this is a recession because this is a uh, mm-hmm. this is under an administration that's a um, that's a left uh, left-wing administration so typically the media is less alarmist about uh, the economy when it's a uh, democratic president. I've always found that very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's um, election year too, you know, midterm elections coming yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So what that means for us is that inflation has caused rising prices of just about everything. Um, I don't know about your electric bill, but our electric bill this past month was about $100 more expensive than it has been. Goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know I know and, energy prices are going up here in Alabama, but I don't know to what yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I, I literally, I got the bill and my, I was like, oh my gosh. First I thought like, my kids have been leaving the door open in a hot afternoon. <laughs> I'm trying to heat the whole neighborhood. Hey. And hey, on that, on that and note, asked around, Josh. Yeah, we had the boys had a friend over the other day, and and we they were all piling up at the door. Your kids ever like pile up at your front door and they wait for you to come unlock the door, and they're just like standing around the front door and they're blocking yes. your access yes. to the door. And you're like, guys, yes. and they're just like all trying the knob over and over. No, I'm going to be the first one in. I'm going to be the first one in. And they're like, the door is locked. You can't get in. Anyways, they had a, they had a couple of friends with them. And uh, and one of them is like notorious for leaving my door open to my house. Like, drives me crazy. And uh, Don't you hate it so when it's like someone all, else's all, kid that does it? <laughs> they're, all, they're all piled up at the door, right? And I'm like walking like 30 feet towards the door and I'm like guys I have the keys like you need to get out of the way I have the keys make a hole for me to get through so I can and they're just like standing there no I'm the first one I'm the first one I'm the first and I'm like okay guys everybody stop listen to me and they all turn around and listen and like scared you know and they're like, I'm like there's one rule one rule in my house 
if you walk through the door. And I was like, wait a second. The last person through the door shuts the door. And as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, man, I'm that dad now. I'm a dad. I just like embraced it. Yeah. Anyways, oh, man. It's so funny when you start. No, no, that's hilarious because I do that same thing too. I'll be like, we have one rule. And as I'm saying the rule, I'm making the rule up as mm. it's coming out of my mouth. And I'm realizing it mm. kind of doesn't mm. make sense as I'm saying it, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, our electric bills nationwide have gone up is what I was trying to say. Um, a lot of consumer goods have gone up. I was at the hardware store last month trying to pick up some... Uh, weed killer and I didn't I didn't see I've been using this weed killer around our fence we live on uh, six acres and we have a fence row around the front of our property and so I've been spraying down in between the fence row with this weed killer and um, they didn't have it at our local hardware store and I asked the guy I was like hey man you guys have carried this in years previous like what's going on and he said that um, that particular product is typically you could buy it like the concentrate for like 60 bucks. He was like, I can't get it unless I'm paying 120 bucks for it. And I was Jeez. like, are you serious? He goes, yeah, man. He goes, it's doubled in price. Um, and he's like, and it's not just that, like so much like lumber, um, which lumber is coming down. I know you work in the world of construction, Gabe, so you probably know a little bit more mm-hmm. about that, but um, random things that you wouldn't think about the the price has in some places doubled and tripled. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. Food prices have gone up. Obviously, gas prices have gone up. There's a reason for that. That has more to do with um, crude oil and the supply constraints because of a, a war going on in Ukraine. But um, basically, things are bad. <laughs> and it doesn't look like they're going to get any better anytime soon. We're either in a recession now or we're headed towards one. Um, our last recession was 2007 to 2009, and at its peak, it was 10% um, unemployment. One of the reasons economists are not uh, putting the label recession on what we're doing right now is, is like the labor market is actually pretty strong. Like There are jobs available. So that's kind of the conundrum of this economy is there's a ton of jobs available and yet inflation is going through the roof and spending is starting to slow down because prices are going up and because um, the Fed uh, has started to increase interest rates to make it more expensive to borrow money. So does this feel like we're living in the recession of 2007, 2009? Do you remember that? I mean, you, you and I were both right out of school, getting yeah. into our careers. Yeah, I do remember, do you remember that well. about that? I remember buying a house at the peak of the housing market, and then the housing market crash happened. It was like 2008, oh, I think it was. Right. And my house lost yeah. like, I would say, 25 to 35% of its value overnight. You know, it was like I was underwater yeah, like all gone. of a sudden when I wasn't before. And I remember being really depressed about that. And it was probably a good seven, eight years before it finally turned around. My house regained the value that I had when I bought it. Um, yeah, wow. I remember, remember thinking Well, you, like, you guys are in Florida with that, that house too. And Florida yeah. got hit really hard with the housing market. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and that's the thing is like, you know, some of these things, the effects of a recession are going to be more localized in their effects sometimes, uh, localized in, in, in their impact and how you feel them in everyday life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, here in semi-rural Alabama, I might not feel it as much. Um, we might mm-hmm. go on with life as usual kind of thing because, um, you know, there just isn't this big industrial mechanism that's that's happening here in southern Alabama. Whereas, you know, if you're in some of these bigger cities, especially like some of these tech-based cities, you might you might feel that. Um, sure. It, you know, it just depends. But yeah, yeah, it feels different to me. Um, not as not as scary. Maybe because I'm older and more well-established as a as a you know right. an adult. Um, I'm out of debt. Um, so it's kind of like I just kind of just roll with it. So, right. Well, and I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I remember in 2007. I mean, I graduated December 2006. Did you graduate spring of 2007 from Southeastern? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So going into the job market, which I was a I was a teacher, so I mean that's a pretty stable job. But still, I mean it was pretty. Um, up in the air, whether or not there would be, you know, jobs available, uh, jobs were, you know, funding was getting cut in a lot of places, um, in the district I was working in. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was, there was that. And then I remember more than anything, my dad, um, the family business at the time, they've since sold it, but the family business at the time was running a car dealership and man, that mm-hmm. was awful those two years i mean they were i mean they they i don't think they turned a profit in like maybe a year year and a half because people just stopped buying cars because they they couldn't because yeah. you know unemployment's 10 percent, and my hometown was um is the carpet capital of the world so it's all industry and textile and stuff mm-hmm. so you know less people are, are building houses so less carpet is going into houses well, then production for carpet slows down. Well, production for carpet slows down. Then there's less jobs in carpet industries. Well, you, then you have a whole town built around the carpet industry. What happens to the people in that town? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this domino effect that you're watching. And it wasn't just in places like my hometown. I mean, you saw it all over the map. You know, just mm-hmm. one domino knocks this domino over, which knocks this domino over. So because... <laughs> the recession's happening and people are building less houses, then that has the practical effect of the family business doesn't sell cars for a year, year and a half because people aren't buying mm-hmm. cars because they don't have jobs. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing, just how delicate of an animal an economy is. Yeah. Like one thing goes this way and then it just kind of knocks everything else over, Yeah. which is pretty yeah, fascinating I mean, to think about. People get whole PhDs in economics because they're trying to figure out how economics really works, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's so complex and it's so delicate, like you said, and it's so interwoven on a global scale that it's, uh, you know, you, you we're so connected with people across oceans and mm-hmm. continents, uh, that when we feel pain economically, they do as well and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding, what's happening and like why it's happened is pretty interesting. Cause I mean, you could go and read. Um, I started reading yesterday to try to kind of figure out, cause I mean, you hear about inflation all the time, but 
you start asking the question, okay, why why is this happening right now? And it's funny, like if you read different, um, you know, publications and periodicals that are, um, you know, written about economics and things. It's so interesting the theories mm-hmm. for why this is happening, and some are quite alarmist, others are not. It's interesting those who are more left leaning are not alarmist. Those who are more conservative are very alarmist. That's nothing to do, I think, with the situation. Everything to do with the political agenda behind it. Um, yeah. That's unfortunate, you know. I think it's always in those kind of scenarios, especially during election year, you have to be kind of more discerning and say, "Wait a second, uh, you know, Fox News wants it to go this way, CNN, MSNBC, they want it to go this way." It's probably somewhere in the middle, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to. You, well, it's like be in twenty twenty with that that bias. Yes, like in twenty twenty, you know. Honestly, in twenty twenty, um, the U.S. economy was in pretty good health. Um, at least in February of 2020, things were going pretty good. Um, unemployment was low. Stock market was high. Everything was going great. And then when the coronavirus pandemic happened, like you said earlier, there were mass lockdowns, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. And so millions of people lost their jobs. Like if you worked in hospitality, you know, you, you worked as a, as a hotel maid or a server in a restaurant or, um, you know, you worked on a cruise ship, you lost your job. And that was millions of people worldwide. And so with the economy at risk of completely crashing, you know, globally, but especially here in the U.S., um, the federal government stepped in and the Federal Reserve pumped in money. The White House and Congress offered trillions of dollars which i remember getting those checks going hey thanks but um um <laughs> like where is this coming from <laughs> you know like this is yeah, probably gonna bite yeah. us in the butt later um yeah. and that money just kept coming too i remember just going like oh my gosh it's still i'm getting my stimulus check like okay here it's just coming here we go so um Slowly but surely, I don't know what it was like in Alabama, but probably around June, July of 2020, businesses started to reopen. Workers started getting hired back. At the beginning of 2021, everything had reopened. Life was resuming. People were still getting stimulus checks, and people were spending money in droves. And it turns out, and I know this is a shocker to some folks. It was definitely a shocker to me. If you give people money for free, they're going to spend it. Hmm. Shocker. <laughs> so what happened was, <laughs> it turned out people were actually spending more money than anybody had expected. And the economy started growing too fast. People were buying furniture. They were buying cars. They were buying houses. They were buying groceries. And so there's this economic principle called supply and demand. And if the demand is higher than the supply, prices go up. And sometimes when prices go up, people stop spending money because things are too expensive. But in 2021, probably because you had a lot of people that had extra money laying around because we had stimulus checks that not everybody needed, people didn't stop spending money. They actually spent more, and 
prices went higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And then you had things like supply chain shortages because of COVID lockdown stuff. So like uh, some folks that go to our church that moved from California um, would talk about, I guess it's in Huntington Beach, California, how there's like this port where all these supplies come in off of cruise ships. And it's just like backed up and there's, you know, supply chain stuff. So I don't, you know, imagine like a household product that you can't get and it's just sitting on a barge somewhere in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Mm. And so what does that mean? That means all the other product like that that is available, that price is going to go up because there's not that many of it. That's supply and demand at work, right? Mm. So the Federal Reserve tried to say, okay, let's let's help out. Let's get the inflation under control. Let's make interest rates higher, which makes it more expensive to borrow money. So your interest rate was, we find, we refinanced our house in February. <laughs> this is so funny to me. March 1st, 2020. And we were mm-hmm. like, we got a steal of a rate. It was like locked in at 3%. We're like, there's no way it could ever go lower. And then in 2020, like it dipped down to where we had creditors calling us. You could refinance at 2.75% all these crazy, like it's <laughs> insane. But in the past year, I think interest rate now, last time I checked, was in the fives, maybe even sixes. Mm. So explain that. Like, why is why is raising the interest rate, why does that make it more expensive to borrow money if somebody's listening? Mm. You're basically, um, well, you know, interest rate is is what kind of like banks across the board will charge you to, to uh, borrow their money. So, um, you know, that's how they make their money off of you borrowing it. And that's what we call an interest mm-hmm. rate. Um, so when that goes up, you're less incentivized. You have less desire to want to take money out from a bank and borrow that money. And that, um, you know, it becomes more expensive. So that kind of like uh, trickles down to uh, the, the – you're basically forcing and trying to correct that supply and demand relationship Um you know, where you're, you're trying to slow down the demand and forcing people's hand to kind of like, Hey, stop buying, stop buying and stop, stop borrowing. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're, um, you're in effect tampering with something. Again, it's like, uh, the federal reserve and the, and the federal government, it's like, whenever they see a problem, uh, they step in and like, we're, we got this. Don't worry. They create like two or three more problems beyond that, you know, that are unforeseen, uh, problems. So, yeah, so it's basically well, his, you know we created we created a false demand. The federal government created a false demand, um, which is you know by issuing all these checks, like you said. Here, look, we're gonna we're gonna issue all these checks, and then hey, we're gonna lay you off for for an unforeseen amount of time and pay you to, to not right. work basically. And then you're gonna you're gonna buy all this stuff, like you said, and buy all these things around that for around the house and the car and all that stuff. And then and then oh, everything's gonna open back up and then everything suddenly magically becomes all expensive. Oh, well, we, we can fix that too, you know? And it's like, no, at some yeah. point we need to be like, uh, let's just stop letting you try to fix things because it just makes it worse, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, do you, do you think, like, is it just the fact that we had a, a lot of extra money laying around because people were getting stimulus checks who didn't really need it? Do you think that's why we kept spending prices kept going up or do you think it was boredom because people were stuck at the house or do you think it's we as americans are exceptionally materialistic because i think that's probably that has something to do with it yeah. too 
Like, why do we as Americans yeah. have these ridiculous spending habits that the rest of the world doesn't seem to have? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's a combination of all the above. Like, remember, um, I was I was a teacher at the time, and I was working from home and teaching from home via Zoom. And uh, so I would teach half the day. I would record these videos and sign these things online. And then, yeah, I'd spend the second half of the day, like, getting caught up on projects around the house that I really wanted to get done. So that necessitated me going to Lowe's or Home Depot and, you know, different places. And, um, and those places, <laughs> when I'd walk Excuse into me. the, walk into a Lowe's, it was like, it was insanity to walk into a Lowe's. Yeah. It, was like, um, it was like Black Friday every day at a Lowe's. Um, yeah. And they could be on the shelves. It was yeah. like, oh man, it was crazy. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember struggling to find parking spots at, at Lowe's. For those who don't know, Lowe's is like a big um, hardware store, like a big corporate box store that we call it. Um, but yeah, so it was like boredom, free, quote unquote, money from the government. Uh, sure. And then, yeah, desire to just to have things, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to complicate things even more in March of this year, you know, you have rising inflation, you have a um, increasing demand and a shrinking supply, and then Russia decides to invade Ukraine. And that disrupted the global supply of, um, of crude oil, and even things like wheat in parts of the world. And so um, not only are we you know, hemorrhaging with our power bills and grocery bills, and, you know, just everything's going up. Gas started just skyrocketing to where it got to um, the average in our, in our, you know, in the U.S. was $5 a gallon. Which, to put it in perspective, in February 2021, I think the average, glo- or the average nationwide was like $2.40 a gallon. Now, of course, that's more expensive in other places than... You know, my, my brother lives in California, and gas this summer got up to seven and a half dollars a gallon. Wow. Yeah. So, like, it gets to a certain point where, as a as a private citizen or a consumer, you look at it and you go, "Man, like, this is getting to the point where even just having a family." And just trying to to live as a private citizen, this is this is so difficult. And you're also seeing, because of the economic situation, people leaving metro areas in droves because it's too expensive and it's become cost prohibitive to live in those places. So there is a great migration happening of people moving from parts of the country to more affordable. Like here in Middle Tennessee, where I'm at, in the the greater metro Nashville area, every week, and I'm not exaggerating, every week I meet a new couple in our church that has relocated from California. Wow. Um, And I talked to a couple this past Sunday at church who moved from the Silicon Valley. They moved from, I think it was the San Jose area. And this dude is sharp. He's got his master's in like linguistics and he works in technology. He works in AI systems. He's an adjunct professor. He's a young guy, probably around my age, sharp guy. You work in the tech sector, you make good money. And he and his wife told me we could not afford to live where we were living. Like we, could, we couldn't buy a house. We couldn't afford to um, 
We couldn't just we couldn't even afford to survive just as a family. We have two children and there's us. Like we we couldn't do it. So we had to leave and come to a place where we could actually live and survive and Tennessee fit the bill for us. Um hmm. But so I feel, yeah, it's I feel like I feel like every uh, every state that is like a, like a sanctuary state like that, you know, like I think a lot of people were moving to Florida and Alabama, Tennessee, places where mm-hmm. the cost of living is still really low. Um, the the uh, powers that be need to sit those people down in a room and be like, hey, welcome <laughs> to Tennessee. <laughs> and let's talk about why you're coming here. And let's talk about um, what you did back in California. Okay, what habits did you have that and, and what voting <laughs> Uh, methods did you use <laughs> that got California to where it is now? Okay, so right, let's right. identify those problems and let's not replicate them here, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. we need we need we need that kind of counseling session for everybody <laughs> coming. Absolutely. Well, it's so funny to me too. Like I'll meet people from California that, and I can always spot like, and I, this this sounds like funny, but I can always kind of spot when somebody is not from Tennessee, like, and I and I and I can hear it like. You know, sometimes I pick it up in their accent. <clears throat> sometimes I pick it up in how they dress. Sometimes I pick it up in just their demeanor. Not in a negative way. I can just kind of tell, like, okay, you didn't grow up here. And so when I ask, hey, you ain't from around here, boy. Um, I'll ask them, like, hey, where are you from? And, like, they hang their head and kind of look around, and they're like, I'm from California. But don't hold it. And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, <laughs> there's almost like this shame of, like, I know, I know, I know. Like I'm, I'm from, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm migrating here, um, and man, I welcome that. I'm like, hey, you are so welcome here. Like, thank you for being here, um, because man, like, if I was in that situation, I, I'd, I'd leave too. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would get out too. And, and you know, it's interesting. There are people from the film industry that are wanting to come to places like Georgia. Be in, in film. I mean, Georgia has become one of the um, premier destinations for people to film movies or TV shows because they don't have the same um, tax situation that they do in California. They don't have the same like eco and green, you know, environmental laws that prohibit a lot of stuff from happening in, as they do in California. And so you got a lot of people from Hollywood moving to Georgia, my home state. And what's interesting is Georgia right now is kind of a swing state. So mm-hmm. Georgia was traditionally and always has been a red state, a very conservative state. And now because Atlanta's growing, because you have all these people moving from the West Coast to Georgia because it's cheaper to work in Georgia, now they're bringing their politics. And I'm just, I think it's so funny because I'm like, the reason that you're in that state is because of the economic ease that, and then now you're trying to bring in your politics, which is by default going to make it just like the place you left. Like, I, I don't understand that. Yeah, but yeah. We, you know, I, I help build houses for a living and there was a, a, a guy, a home buyer who was walking through a house that was built by our company. And uh, he looks out the back, back window of this house and he sees this big open field beautiful grassy field but in the middle of this field is a fire hydrant and he's smart he goes hey i see there's a fire hydrant in the middle of the field out there and my beautiful view out of the back of my house and he's like what's what is your plans with this field and uh one of my the guys i was working with he says oh yeah he's like we're, we're eventually going to build a subdivision in that field 
And he goes, well, you know, this guy's standing in a new construction house in what was once a cow pasture. <laughs> and he's looking out of this other field <laughs> and saying, well, he goes, he goes, well, you all take your time on that because, you know, I don't want my view messed up. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, wait a second, you messed up someone else's view. You are that person. And then you're like, you want to get in here and like slam the door and somebody be like, no, you can't, you can't build it here. Cause that's my beautiful field you yeah. know, with the fire hydrant. And it's just like, uh, man, that's we, funny, we as humans man. were like so funny. We just, we want our cake and to eat it too, I guess. Yeah. It's so funny how we are. So somebody listening to this is like, wait, wait a second. I clicked on this podcast. Because you guys said you are the Beards and Bible podcast. And so if you guys are for the Bible and you're Christians, why should we even think about the economy? Why should we even think about money? So, Gabe, what say ye to these charges? Christians Hmm. should not even worry about it. You shouldn't think about it. You should just trust the Lord and not even worry about any of this stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be wonderful. That'd be nice. Let's do that. <laughs> just all do. Let's just all not think about money. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And let's yeah. just all like move into uh, school buses in uh, in some national forest somewhere and live out of. That'd be mm. wonderful. But that's just not you mm. know that's not reality. That's not that's not living holy and set apart. I mean, it is in some ways, I guess, but um, that's not healthy. Uh, I think what we what we have to figure out how to do as believers is live in society and function within society uh, and do it in a way that brings glory and honor to God and, and not compromise on our, our values and our principles. But money is, God doesn't care about money, but he will use it to his advantage if we have it. Hmm. And I think it's important to understand that if we're in this, if, if we're kind of halfway checked into this economy and into this, this system of like currency and stuff, um, we can use it to advance his kingdom and to, to bring repair to this world and lift others up with it. Um, but in addition, I think one of the most important things we can do with our money is to, um, put a stable roof over our family's heads and give them love and upbringing and discipleship using that money that we make out in the world. But yeah, it's, it's funny how like, yeah. we look at the story of Jesus and how he interacts with money. It's like, uh, he, he tells us to give to Caesar what a Caesar's, but I mean, he catches a fish and pulls money out of a fish in a way of saying like, right. guys, look, you know, you need to operate with this stuff. You need to use this. You can, you can interact with this stuff. But just remember, it's all just fictitious at the end of the day. Right. 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 Yeah. So, <clears throat> That's interesting how you said, and it's a bit provocative you saying this, God doesn't care about money. Um, he cares about our hearts, right? Mm-hmm. So, so many people misquote the verse, money is the root of all evil. That's a misquotation. It's not what the verse mm-hmm. says. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. So, the Bible is chock full, especially in the New Testament, of warnings against greed against storing up treasures on earth, against loving money, and desiring to become rich. So if money has your allegiance, if it has your heart, if it becomes your idol, it will destroy you, quite literally. Like when Jesus says, what does it gain for a man to 
to gain the whole world but to lose his soul. There are so many people who get drunk on the pursuit of more and they can't see clearly. They can't see their their own need for uh, a savior because they think they have everything they need because of money. And that's that's why money is dangerous, right? But it's not it's not that money is evil. It's that our hearts are. And, and money is this necessary resource that everybody has to learn how to handle at some point. So the question isn't, um, you know, okay, so money's bad. How do we stay away from it at all costs? The question is, money is necessary, so how do we learn how to manage it in a way, like you said, that brings honor and glory to God and, and is a blessing to other people, including those in our own household? You think that's fair? You think that's like a biblical mm-hmm. way to approach it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting. Jesus told a lot of parables in the New Testament. And uh, I have this written down in my notes. Of all the parables he told, 36 parables in total, 17 of them were about something called stewardship. Hmm. And stewardship is another word for just management. And so at the end of the day, everything that we owned, whether it's our money, our houses, um, everything we've been given, it's not ours. It's God's. And he's given it to us to manage. And in Luke 16, 1 through 13, Jesus tells a parable of a dishonest steward as a way of warning us against not managing it well. And the moral of the story is, if you're not trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? That's Luke 16. And then we read in the epistles, um, especially 1 Timothy uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he's giving him instruction in the church, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So like the call is, as we manage God's money, we're responsible. We care for our families. We care for those within our church communities. We're generous. We, we have stability financially in our lives so that we can be a blessing to other people. So if we don't care at all about managing or stewarding the resources that God's given us, we can't be a blessing. We can't be generous, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we do have to learn how to manage and be responsible and care, but it can never go into this realm of us being idolatrous where we are in love with money. We just want to get rich, and that's all we're thinking about, and we become materialistic. And so it's a very it's a very fine line to try to straddle as Christians. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It boils down to kind of like a, a life of balance when it comes to money and wealth, um, and realizing, yeah, like you said, it's like we could. I think it's um, uh, Proverbs three twenty seven: a generous person will prosper. And it's like mm. Proverbs talks a lot about money and our relationship to it. And it's it's basically summarized by make money, be wise with it, be generous with it, and uh, leave it for your children's children. You know, that's kind of the essence mm-hmm. of, of Solomon's view of, of money. Right. Yeah, Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a mm-hmm. sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Um Proverbs 27, 23, and 24. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. 
give careful attention to your herds. So that that's like a way of saying, hey, like you need to be a good manager. You need to be like paying attention to your budget. You need to be paying attention to how much you're spending, that kind of thing, right? And then uh, the book of Proverbs is pretty uh, discouraging of careless debt. Some would say all debt. I would say careless debt because I don't think it's wrong to borrow. Like if you're building a house, like I don't think it's wrong to have a mortgage, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the book, uh, the the Proverbs twenty two seven says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27 says, Be not one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. So I guess there were bed repo men back in the book of Proverbs. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't pay, they would repossess your bed, right? Hmm. So we are told so many times, be responsible, be generous, Manage it well, because when you manage it well, you give glory and honor to God. And it's just logical. If you're not managing your money well, you'll have nothing to give. So there's no way for you to be generous if you're, you know, every month going, oh my gosh, where'd it go, right? So there's some false theologies of money. There's the prosperity theology. That is, financial affluence is always God's will for every believer, so faith, positive speech, and giving will always increase your wealth. I think we've done episodes about that many times. Talked about how that's not true. Yeah. There's poverty theology, and that is probably less common, but it's still a thing. And that is poverty is always God's will for every believer. And if you live in poverty, you're really devoted to God. And if you have any kind of wealth, like you have a house or anything like that, you, you aren't really following Jesus. Right, And so I would say that neither of those are biblical. Those are false theologies of money. I would say stewardship theology is the most biblical way to view money, and that is everything we have has been given to us by God. It's First Chronicles 29, 12. It says riches and honor come from you. So none of us really own anything. We don't take it with us when we die. We didn't come into the world with it. Um, Jesus told 17 parables about stewardship, so as a steward, what we're saying is everything I have is God's. How much is right for me to keep for myself? And how do I manage this well? So Gabe, how have you seen like false theologies of money impact people's spiritual lives? Yeah, and you just um, I've seen it give people false hope and false, uh, you know, just you see people's expectations kind of build up because they're like, oh, if I just give, 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 or, um, you know, mail in this, this check, you know, it's like, uh, to these people, usually they have no relationship with, but they've been duped into believing this theology. And then eventually, eventually what happens is, is they, they run out of money that they can give away or they, they lack the money for basic necessities. And then they begin to get angry, uh, usually at God for, for not fulfilling those promises they were told would be fulfilled. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that, uh, play out. Um, but I'm also reminded, uh, going back just a little bit about Luke 8, and there's a character in Luke 8 that's really important. Her name is Joanna. And um, she's one of these women who is, is delivered from evil spirits. And uh, after being healed, she accompanies and actually finances the ministry of Jesus and the 12 disciples. 
Hmm. And it's like, you know, they're not, they don't say to Joanna, Joanna, like, you know, you need to quit your job and you need to just be on the road with us. It actually seems like she is a big financier of, of the ministry and of what they were able to do because of her funds coming in because of her stewardship, which I think, um, some Hmm. people speculate her husband was actually the manager of Herod Antipas's household estate. And, um, maybe she had some side businesses going on as well, but so it's like, um, you can use, you can use your income in your business, uh, to help support people who have a call to be in full-time ministry. And that's very biblical. And that's very, very important for those who are not called to be in full-time ministry that we support someone yeah. who is doing the work of ministry to be, continue to give. So I hope I'm not getting too ahead of us, ahead of the, uh, the, the notes here, but yeah, I've seen bad theology play out in people's lives. And, um, ultimately it is satanic in, in the way that it makes them doubt the promises of God and the faithfulness of God. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a sad day. I think when you see someone who has been given a false teaching about what God has to do, if you mail in this check or you pray this way, or, you know, you're going to prosper if you do this. And it's just, it's just untrue. But instead of going, well, maybe this is, this isn't true about God. It becomes, well, God didn't do this for me. Therefore God doesn't mm-hmm. love me or I don't have enough faith or yada, yada, yada. Um, and man, I've encountered, I'm sure you have too. I've encountered this in Africa. Um, mm-hmm. Prosperity gospel teaching takes off in developing countries where people have next to nothing because you tell somebody God's will for you is to be rich when you're living on less than a dollar a day. That's an appealing message. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's well it's so discouraging to see you know come to a village or come to a church <clears throat> and somebody else got there first that did a mm-hmm. um, you know a miracle crusade or this that and the other and they've told all these people hey just give money and it's gonna you know double and triple and all this and it's just like guys 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 like let's talk mm-hmm. um, well and I also and then, here's something that listeners. Well, I was just going to say, I want to caution listeners to, um, Dave Ramsey says, uh, and we should do like a, like a, a game who, who can quote Dave Ramsey the most in this episode, but Dave Ramsey <laughs> I've met said, him. have you met him? <laughs> what? I don't think you've met him. No, I haven't. I haven't. I would love to. Uh, he says one of the, the best ways to get money is to go to work and earn a paycheck. And it's just, it's just mm. so simple, but it's true. And it's like, we as Christians, sometimes we can get, um, kind of caught up and fall prey to some of the weirdest multi-level marketing things that are out there. Things that, (laughs) you know, like I call them, I call them faith-based multi-level marketing where it's like, Oh, you mean like essential oils? (laughs) I wasn't going to get specific, but yes. Oh, That's the thing though. That's the thing is like they, they, they pitch them as being themed around your health and, and then they weave in like scripture verses and stuff like, Oh, and this is the, this is the oil that was used in the tabernacle. And if you put this on your boo-boos, if you put this on your hemorrhoids, it will go away. And it's like, no, just stop, just stop. Okay. Just go to the dollar general. And the, get bomb, some the bomb, the bomb of Gilead. Oh, this is the man, bomb but it's of like, Gilead. Like, yeah. you know, we we buy into these things and we're like, oh, let's sell these to all our friends and have these parties and do all this stuff. And it's like, just stop, just stop, just stop. Shh. Just, just, just go, go get a job. And earn a paycheck. Yes, go get it. Yeah, just stop. Exactly. <sighs> yeah, I think where I've seen false theologies of money impact people is I think people think that um, they can be given a cheat code 
to mm-hmm. economic success if they have a, uh, a certain theology of money. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like, instead yeah, of yeah. just managing your money well, being responsible, not living beyond your means, working a job, stewarding it well, that's how you gain economic stability. There are people that think that somehow, like, God's will is for them to get rich overnight and, you know, I'm going to sell, you know, my, I don't know why they always talk that way, but in my mind they do. I'm going to sell my bomb yeah. of Gilead essential healing oil. And it's like, with God's help, I'm going to prosper. It's like, yeah, but like, God also wants to reward you for the dignity of your own hard work. Like, I don't know. And, and could God do that? Could God make you win the Powerball? Absolutely. He's God. But most of the time it doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> well, remember, remember uh, Nintendo, that Nintendo game, uh, Contra? That was like yes. big in the 90s. I do. Where you like run, you're running, it. just it's like a one dimensional, like running and you're shooting. Remember, uh, yes. you could take the yes. controller, do up, up, down, down, left, right, mm-hmm. left, right, mm-hmm. B, A, start, and you get 30 extra lives. And it's like, yes. that was, you know, when you knew that code, it's like all your friends are like, whoa, you know? And that was before yeah. the days of internet. So th- those those codes, those cheat codes you do on the Nintendo, those only came to you word of mouth, you know? Like you, there was no right, other right, way right, you right. got those codes unless, unless it came down from like the creator of the game. So, uh, so yeah, you do that, but it's like, that's <laughs> we, like you said, it's like the cheat code. It's like, Oh, maybe if I just give to this ministry, this amount at this particular time on the feast of trumpets, they're based in <laughs> Jerusalem and you know, I do it on this year and all these numbers and somebody did all these crazy math things. And it's like, Oh, yeah. and they get into this frenzy. It's like, here's the cheat code. And then I, then the Lord will pay off my car for me. You know, it's like, no, right. no, just, just get a job. <clears throat> just get a job. Yeah, and and probably should just pay for your car in cash instead of financing it. But anyway, yeah, or maybe you shouldn't own a G wagon. Yeah. <laughs> so how, <laughs> a G wagon, that's what we call our minivan. Um, how can we nice. steward nice. our our money well during tough times as we land the plane? Um, we'll just go through these. We'll switch off and go back and forth. I'll, I'll take number one. Gabe will take number two. I'll take three. Gabe will take four. We'll just go back and forth. So first thing, gas prices are up. Grocery prices are up. Everything's more expensive. You probably have a set amount that you're making in terms of your income if you're listening to this. So how do we do this, right? So the first is we budget, and I know for some of us, we hear the word budget and we're thinking of like, you know, flashbacks to our high school economics class. And we're like, ah, uh, that seems so stifling. Um, but here's what happens. And I know this because I've lived a good portion of my adult life without ever worrying about budgeting. Is at the end of the month, I would sit and wonder where all my money went. And I go, holy cow, I've got 30 bucks in my bank account until payday. Yikes, that's not good. Where did my money go? And I was single, so I had nobody else to blame but me. But that's what happens when we don't manage it well, is we think that it's just this infinite surplus. And what makes it really hard now is we use our bank card for everything. And we swipe the card, Mm -hmm. and it's just like, well, I don't really know what's in the account. I hope there's enough to cover this candy bar and soda at the gas station. 
And so that's like a way to continually find yourself at a deficit every month if you are not paying attention to your flocks, as the book of Proverbs says. So in order to, to actually manage what you have, you've got to know what you have and you've got to know what is necessary for you to spend. So give every dollar that you earn a name. If you make $3,000 a month, every one of those $3,000 goes towards something. And do not spend anything unless it's a budgeted expense. And you're like, well, Josh, that's so stifling to me. I like the freedom. Okay, well then make a budget line item in your budget that says you get 50 bucks to, to blow on whatever you want to blow it on, right? Mm-hmm. You can go get a Nachos Bell Grande from Taco Bell every day if you want, right? That's $50. <laughs> but if you don't keep track of your spending and if you don't manage where that money is going, you will blow your money and you will consistently find yourself behind the eight ball every stinking month. And I know that because I was that guy until my mid-20s. And I had a come-to-Jesus moment and had to realize, like, I'm going to be broke the rest of my life if I do not start spending my money like an adult instead of like a 12-year-old. I know I'm being a little bit mean this morning, but I think I needed that to kind of get kicked in the chest a little bit and go, holy cow, like, I am being so irresponsible. And it really is more of a spiritual issue. Because the Bible says, like, hey, manage your money well, and you're just going, oh, cool, well, here's my bank card, swipe, 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 then you're not managing it well. Yeah. So, one of the good budgeting apps. With premarital, one of the things I do with premarital counseling when I, when I counsel a couple is I, I tell them, hey, you have one month, we're going to meet again. In that month, you and your potential spouse, you're going to sit down and you're make the most detailed budget you could possibly make with yes. your projected incomes when you're married. And, and then Stacy and I go through it like a fine tooth comb and we're going to, there's one couple uh, that we just gave that assignment to, and they have to come back with a, with a, a budget like that. And we're going to go through it and just pick it apart and, yeah. um, and kind of Absolutely. set them on a good financial terms when they get married that way. Yep. And I've got some folks listening to this, uh, that I did their premarital counseling and, uh, did the same thing with them. And that's, I wish somebody would have done that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't because I think people were. I think a lot of times we're afraid to get into somebody else's life and ask them money about questions. Mm-hmm. Um, ask them money about questions. Ask them questions about money. <laughs> I switched the words around there, I'm like Yoda. Well, it saves, it saves my time. Yeah, it saves me time on the back end of things because I'm, I'm not having to counsel that couple when they're running into financial hardship and struggling with money. Yes. So um, it sets them on a better course, I, I believe. Absolutely. So good budgeting apps, everydollar.com. That's put out by the Ramsey Group. That's what Jenny and I have used. Before that, for years, we used an Excel spreadsheet that somebody had given us. And that worked well until every dollar came out. And you can have it on your phone. You can have it online. Uh, Mint, M-I-N-T, is a good app. Good Budget is a good app. Um, Sometimes I recommend the envelope system. Jenny and I did the envelope system for years while we were getting out of debt. And that is at the beginning of the month, you take out cash and you put your gas money in an envelope. You put your grocery money in an envelope. You put all your spending money in envelopes and you only pay cash for things like that. 
to curb your spending. So you're not just swiping your card and thinking that, oh, okay, well, there's just a ton left in the account and we'll just figure out where we are at the end of the month. No, there's not an infinite surplus in your bank account. Take out what you're going to spend in cash and you can look and like, oh my gosh, there's only one $20 bill left. I guess we can't go to the movies tonight. Okay, that's great. Don't go to the movies tonight. Stay home. Redbox it, right? And you'll be okay. But budgeting is probably the most important skill to learn if you're going to steward your money well. That's number one. All right, Gabe. Yeah. Bring us some. Yeah, wisdom. and I will say if if uh, you have a, a budget line item of buying Taco Bell every day, I hope you have a budget line item <laughs> of buying toilet paper every day. <laughs> but I digress. I knew. So the next <laughs> the next principle I want to. Uh, talk about, which is a very good principle, is to have around three to six months of expenses saved up in an emergency fund. Now, these are not three to six months because, mm-hmm. you know, I talk about people, people mention this to people and they're like, they, they kind of scoff at this idea and they seem like it's unattainable or something. But this is not three to six months of your normal lifestyle. This is three to six months of you living um, like you're on the verge of being homeless, okay? So this is not you going mm-hmm. to the movies. This is not you um, buying 5,000 water balloons for your kid's birthday party. This is not you, you know what I'm saying? Like this is you living uh, really frugally. So it might be, you know, for, it might be 10 to $12,000. It might be just $5,000. I don't know. It's, it's up to you, but this is going to help you tremendously because, um, next summer your AC is going to go out, um, or, Mm -hmm. or next month your transmission on your car is going to go out or God forbid six months from now, you're going to get laid off from your job. And having this three to six months expenses is going to buy you time to look for another job. It's going to it's going to set you up where you can pay cash for that repair on your car, and there's a quick turnaround on that. Um, you can keep your job, you know, things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, um, it's just going to give you peace of mind. And uh, when when life throws all kinds of stuff at you, and the last thing, you know, you can control some of these variables, especially within your marriage. And I believe couples really fight a lot about about money. And if you can remove that stressor out of your marriage, I think your marriage will be healthier, be on a, a firmer foundation. And then you just have to worry about the things that are more outside of your control. Um, but also, you know, just think about creating a fund. So, so like, um, I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking, okay, my water heater in my house is it's 18 years old. Uh, it, it might go out any day now. I need to be setting some money aside uh, in a separate account or whatever. Um, for when that happens, I have that money there and I can go ahead and just get that replaced. Um, but also, uh, be looking further out into your future, um, with things like, you know, your kid's college or, um, I'm right now for our family, I'm looking at a vehicle. Uh, our vehicle is, uh, aging. There's some things that are making weird noises and I'm trying to think about, you know, saving up so that I don't have to finance a vehicle and I can just, it's not going to be the nicest car in the world, but at some point we're going to take our family's van and trade it in for a newer one. And, but I need to come up with some additional money to do that. So I'm trying to think, you know, just, I'm I'm trying to think beyond this week, this month, this year, I'm trying to think five, 10, 20 years out. And what am I doing to prepare for that? So. No, that's, that's great. Cause I think a lot of times what happens is like these foreseeable things that are going to happen, like your car is not going to run forever. A lot of times we get to those forks in the road and we go, Oh oh my gosh, who, who could have thought, who could have seen this coming? Right. My car's got, you know, 380,000 miles on it. Who would know I'd have to repair it. Right. 
So getting ahead of that. So something we do every month is we make a car payment to ourselves in a mutual fund. So we don't finance our vehicles. We make a car payment to ourselves for the car we're going to get five years from now. Hmm. Does that make sense? That's cool. So we have equity in our cars now, but we're also paying ourselves for five years down the road when the van does kick the bucket. We're not freaking out and going, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to go finance a, a van. No, we don't. We've got this money saved aside because we've been looking five years down the road. Something else we do every month is we take a portion of our income and we put it aside for family vacations. So mm-hmm. when we feel like taking a week away and spending time together as a family, we're not going, oh, okay, let's go to our savings account. Let's pull out what we need. You know, no, no, we've already got that money set, set aside because we know for our family, it's right for us to take, you know, a week away a year and, and go somewhere and spend time together as a family. So it's not a economic burden, but it just, takes a little bit of foresight of thinking ahead to foreseeable situations and going, okay, this is where that money's going to come from. It's not going to come from our emergency fund. It's not going to come from other places. We're not going to take out a credit card, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next thing I'd say to steward your money well, especially right now in the midst of a really tough economy and probably a recession is to slow down your spending. Mm. Simmer down. <laughs> Easy, cool, breezy. Um, right now is probably not a great time to make major purchases on stuff you don't really need. Mm. It's just not. I know there are folks that may have extra right now because you may be thinking, oh my gosh, I just got a raise. But think about this for a second. Your raise that looks like more dollars may actually not be a raise because everything else is more expensive. Mm -hmm. Right? So you think that that's a raise. It's not really a raise. It's just like your your paychecks is going up to keep up with how expensive everything is right now. So it yeah. may look like on paper you're making more money than you've ever made, and you're thinking, man, I can go blow it all. At no- what? Not really, right? And um, it's probably wisdom to go, hey, I don't know what the economy's going to look like a year from now, so I don't need to stretch my budget to the max to go buy something right now I don't really need. Yeah. And, and where I see this really, you know, biting families in the butt is not people going out and blowing it on, you know, um, you know, fancy jewelry or, you know, new Camaros or, uh, you know, opulent things. It's just lifestyle stuff, like eating out mm-hmm. yeah. or going to the movies or more streaming services than you really need or gym memberships you don't really use. Um, and so... I think it's right for us to look at our lifestyle and go, hey, do we really need to eat out as much? <laughs> do we do we really have to go to the movies? I mean, it's it's fine and if you can afford it to go see a movie every now and again, but you don't. That's not that's not like a necessity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just going shopping and walking around and buying stuff that you didn't think you needed until you saw it on the shelf that. 
and you may not think, well, that's just 30 bucks. That's just 40 bucks. But you do that a couple of times throughout the month. And dude, that compounds like that will hemorrhage your family budget. And so right now is probably a good time to get out of the habit of doing that because that's, uh, that's going to bite you in the butt as we move forward in, in the economy. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also like maybe even adapting your vacations, like going on a staycation, if you get a week off work or maybe going to visit family, going camping instead of going to, you know, going on that cruise. So slowing down (laughs) your spending. Yeah, I'll say that just just the habit of packing your own lunch when you go to work is huge. Yes, and bringing your I'm own so coffee. Bad about that. You know, it's, it's, um, coffee that's like three or four dollars a cup. Uh, you could instead just brew a little bit extra at home and bring it in a thermos yes. with you. You know, it's like these these things that like our grandparents did when they would go to work is it's so important. And it's it's hard to wake up in the morning and do that and prepare a lunch and do I gotta. You know, I got to do that here in a little bit, but it's like if you could do it the night before, yeah. um, and when you go shopping, put it on your list to buy stuff to make your own lunch and your own food while you're at work. It'll save you gobs of money, I promise. Um, but the fourth principle uh, we want to talk about is is don't stop giving, because you know just like you might be feeling a pinch financially, so are various ministries who are helping people, and uh, mm. it's important that if we can, we give a little bit of our livelihood to these things. And it could be time and it could be money or combination thereof. But um, those people are feeling it as well. Those ministries are feeling it as well. Uh, so don't stop giving. You know, Do what you can to help them out as well. Yeah. Next principle is be diligent. So keep your job. Pick up odd jobs or side hustles. Um, now is probably, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that like as a genera- gener- generality. So this is not everybody, but for most people, it's probably not a good time for you to be looking at the other side of the job fence and seeing if the grass is greener because <laughs> everything is up in the air right now, right? Labor market's great, yeah. but we don't know a year from now what unemployment's going to look like. So mm. it's probably, and, and again, that's a generality for some people, you know, yeah, it's probably better for you to switch jobs and make more money, but for most people, probably not. S- stay with your job, right? Um, if money is tight, um, there's a lot of side hustles, man. Ton of side hustles. You can be a driver for Uber or Lyft if you live in a place where that's a thing. Um, I want to say a, a buddy of mine. I think I think Jason Bell's listening to this right now. And Jason, if you're listening to this, send me a text to confirm or deny. But I think Jason at one point, uh, he he was like, man, I gotta hustle and make a little extra dough. So he went to the airport or downtown Nashville and just drove uber for a couple of nights a week and made a little extra dough so you can do it i mean it's not that hard um mm-hmm. mowing grass doing yard sales doing garage sales selling stuff on facebook marketplace that's what my wife does if there's like something that the kids need or something she needs she's like oh i'll just sell this on facebook marketplace and she does really well mm-hmm. she she bought a new vacuum cleaner entirely financed from selling stuff on facebook marketplace so there's mm-hmm. ways to do that that's awesome yep mm-hmm. did, the va- did the vacuum kind of suck you're full of the yuck yucks today my friend i am so the sixth principle is to look for bargains uh Mm. so so this is um this is tough um so so looking for coupons and deals stacy loves to get things that are buy one get one she gets she gets like 16 of that yeah it's like um, she'll come home with like <laughs> in bulk. Six, like, six what bags. Are you? Yeah, 
six bags of like dish soap, you know? And I'm like, we just spent $300 on dish soap. She's like, buy one, get one. And we're going to use them eventually. And it's like, well, where are we going to store all these things of dish soap? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we have to like get a, get a uh, storage unit to just. uh, Yeah. Just for dish or don dish soap. Yeah. That's funny. But also the thing, another thing we do is, um, we, uh, we have a, we have an egg girl and we don't spend $6 for organic eggs. Like, uh, like they have at Walmart or the grocery store or whatever. We, uh, we instead buy them from a girl who goes to our church and she has her own chickens and she sells them just to make some side money. She's, she's like, uh, 12 or 13. I can't remember. And, uh, yeah, oh, she, cool. she does this That's really awesome. cool thing. We, we, I think we spend, I think, we're th- think they're $3 a dozen. They're like organic eggs, free range eggs. They're very tasty and, uh, you know, they're cage free, but she, she decorates her egg cartons with little messages and stuff. And, uh, oh, cool. so it's really cool and it helps her out and it's cheaper for us. And we burn through some eggs, let me tell you, but also, yeah, um, we do too. there's no shame. Yeah. There's no shame in going to the goodwill as well. You know, like the, yep. um, that you can, you can find some, some, some awesome clothes at the goodwill, um, yes, you can. or the salvation army or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's partly a pride thing, you know, like a status thing. We don't want to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. seen wearing something or going somewhere and shopping for clothes, but especially for kids, kids clothes can be insanely oh my expensive. Gosh, man. And, uh, and yeah, those clothes that your kid grew out of, put them in a bag, store them up, put them somewhere in a closet. You yep. either hang on to them for your next kid or you give them to someone mm-hmm. in your church or your homeschool group that has a kid yep. in that age range that's coming up. That really means people have done that for us a lot. They, they'll give us yep. clothes that their kids have grown out of. And, um, oh, yeah, my kids love that. They go through the bags and they're like, Rocco used to wear this shirt. That's awesome. <laughs> and they, like, put it on. They just love that, you know. This was I remember Rocco yeah. wearing this shirt, and I think he's the bomb. And just stuff like that, you know. You yeah. just think, think about other people that way. And, and don't, just, don't just donate it right away. Try to give it away if, if, if you think someone could use it. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's... Um that's something that's so funny. All those things that we, we've done too. Uh, secondhand clothes for kids is, that's our lifeline. Like our kids don't wear anything new because they don't need to because it's either hand-me-downs from one of their siblings or somebody within the church goes, hey, we don't need these clothes anymore and we get trash bags of really nice clothes that their kids wore when their kids were our size. And our kids wear them, and then when our kids are done with them, we bag them up and send them to somebody else. Because kids grow so fast, you know? Um, not everything has to be name brand. Um, I'll say this too, and maybe you can send me hate mail if you want. If you can't afford to eat organic, you probably don't need to be eating organic. Can I say that? Because I've done budgets for yeah, people, just... and they're hemorrhaging every month. And like, <laughs> oh, we only shop Whole Foods. I'm like, that, that'd be great. To shop only Whole Foods, but you can't afford Whole Foods. You've got like a dollar general budget and you're thinking that you, you know, whole. so like if you can't afford to shop at Whole Foods, grow a freaking garden or take up big game hunting mm-hmm. or go find a local farmer and figure out a way to do it. But just because, okay, I'm gonna get off my soapbox. All right, last one. And then we'll be done. You, 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 uh, you got a, you got a Whole Foods taste while you're living on a Sam's Choice budget. <laughs> Exactly. You sh- you should be drinking Dr. Thunder, but instead you're drinking Dr. Pepper. I'm trying to think of all the different uh, Sam's Choice, oh, and man, Best Value, all the all the Mountain Lightning off brand <laughs> Mountain Lightning. Yeah, 
Last is this. Look out for other people within your community that may be hurting, within your church that may be hurting. Like if you're feeling the squeeze of a tight economy, and I know almost everybody listening to this is, you can be sure there are other people within your life that are probably impacted harder than you are. And so I think it's really easy when we have a economic situation like this to be looking and going, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't believe like, you know, this price is going up or, you know, we can't help anybody. Like, no, there's, there's other people who are hurting more than you are. And you may not be able to help everybody by giving to them financially because you may be strapped, but you can do things like, hey, we made a big pot of soup tonight and there's more than what we needed. Why don't we take this family within our church dinner? Or, hey, my kids just uh, outgrew all this clothes. Why don't I take this bag of clothes to this family that we know down the street that they just had a baby, right? But the book of Proverbs says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. So um, my hope and my prayer is for us as believers, we will have hearts that are soft to the people around us that are in need. So. For Sheezy. Yeah. For Sheezy. Gabe, thanks, man. I know we went over today and you've got to get to work and so do I, but I appreciate you, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to email us. If you have any topic ideas, especially, uh, we want this to be a, uh, an audience interactive podcast. So, you know, if you have questions, if you have topic ideas, please email them to us and we'd like to at least entertain them. Absolutely. Before we shut them down gloriously and tell you you're stupid. No, just kidding. We would never do that. We just wouldn't do your suggestion. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Everybody go out there and make that bread today. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.